Welcome to this special call-in episode of the Pouring My Art Out podcast. Ask art about art. This is episode 16. I did a blog post and Facebook stuff and uh, told people that if they had any questions about art that they wanted to ask on the podcast to call my cell phone and identify themselves and ask away. I'm sorry this episode is late. My laptop died and all the uh, laptops are bought up by people doing homeschooling and stuff. Also, I apologize about any ambient noises, birds, leaf blowers, dogs barking because I'm in the backyard. I can't find a quiet place to record. Yeah, I have not listened to the messages on my phone because I wanted to be surprised right along with you. So I'm just going to play the messages directly into the phone and we'll see how this works. And uh, let's get right to it. But first, a word from our sponsor. Yes, now endorsed by the president, it's sterilized sunshine. Thanks to the very stable genius of our nation's leader, there is finally a cure for COVID-19. These small capsules are made up of two parts. One end contains a gel cap filled with bleach and hand sanitizer. The other end has a small infrared light powered by a tiny nuclear battery. Yes, it's sterilized sunshine. We don't need science to tell us it's going to work. That's what some people are saying. So kill that virus and let's make America work again. Even if they won't be getting paid enough to pay off the debts they racked up during the shutdown or have medical coverage. Available at any military laboratory in your area. Please use as directed and never take more than one pill in a lifetime, however long that will be. Sterilized sunshine. Okay, now I'm just going to play the messages right into the microphone, and let's see how this works. Hi, this is Helen, Helen A. Handbasket. I would like to know how you prepared for the birth of your first daughter. Oh, and I adore your podcast. Bye now. Well, thank you for your question, Helen. Uh, Yeah, so way back when my wife was pregnant with our first child, the doctor kept telling us that the baby now weighed six ounces or eight ounces or whatever, and I couldn't imagine a human that weighed six or eight ounces. So I had an idea, you know, like I do. I was going to go to the store, buy a bunch of ground beef, weigh it out, and make me some meat babies. Now, perhaps you are saying to yourself at this point that my story is not so bad. Have you learned nothing from this podcast? I suggested that it would be a shame to let my hard work go to waste, not to mention my artistic talent, and that we should invite all of our friends over for a barbecue. Wait, what? Oh yeah, making some meat babies. Hey, they would fit right into a hot dog bun, right? Why let it go to waste? What you are thinking right now, hopefully, if you aren't insane, is exactly what my wife said to me. Suddenly I'm hungry. Beef. It's what's for dinner. Hey, uh, yeah, hi. This is Just In Case. Long-time listener, first-time caller. 
Uh, let's see. My boss was passing me in the hall a few weeks ago and mumbled something about trying me out in a new position, but I haven't heard anything since. Should I ask him about it? Uh, good question. Uh, Jimmy, do you want to field this one? Sure, Arthur. Well, it's just like Grandma always used to say, just because your boss says he wants to try you out in a new position doesn't mean you're getting a raise or a promotion. Hey, don't worry about it, man. Hello, this is Bobby. Little Bobby Q Flubber Biscuits, son of... Hootenanna P. Flubber Biscuits, owner and general manager of Hootenanna P. Flubber Biscuits, Incorporated, makers of the flakiest, tastiest biscuits in town. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? That's what I want to know, Mr. Smarty Pants. Well, thanks for the question, young Bobby, but it isn't a real question. A fully formed chicken or egg never magically popped into existence. Now, I know this will annoy some people, but the fact of the matter is that millions of years ago, as simple single-celled organisms evolved into ever more complex forms of life, they adapted to produce in various ways, because just splitting down the middle was no longer an option. Some species evolved to give birth to fully formed young who had developed inside their bodies, but some creatures created a sack around the developing offspring, and instead of keeping that sack inside herself, the female would deposit these eggs in the water. The sacks, or eggs, were soft. This let the mother create many more offspring to compensate for predation. As animals moved onto land and grew ever more complex, the eggs came in many forms, shapes, sizes, and so on. The earliest reptiles, who would one day evolve into birds, began to draw calcium from their bodies, which is used to make our bones, and use this to make the egg's shell stronger to protect it. This happened over many millions of years, not all at once, like someone had done a magic trick or something. So you see, Bobby, that question isn't as clever as it is cracked up to be. Ha, see what I did there? I made a yoke. Okay, hope that helped. Hi, Arthur, it's your mom. Give me a call when you can. All right? Bye-bye. Oh, whoops, like I said, I haven't checked my messages. Uh, I should really call her back later. Have I mentioned she's 96 years old? Hi, this is Wyatt, Wyatt Small. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Love the podcast, man. I hear you have size 15 feet. Is it true what they say about guys with big feet? Not always. Let's take another call. Hey, yeah, this is Bob. Uh, love your podcast and your blog. Uh, do you have any advice on how to make the cops stop following you? I'm doing 95 on the freeway and they're still following me. So, yeah, I could use some advice. No, why would you ask me that? This has nothing to do with art. And you left this message like two days ago. Okay, next call. This is Sergeant Brewer of the LAPD, Air Unit 14. Uh, can you tell Bob to pull over? There's 14 cars and two helicopters following him. There's no way he's going to get away. He's got nowhere to run. Thank you. Hey, the podcast. Keep up good work. Look, this isn't a live call-in show. I'm sure Bob is behind bars by now. 
Ho, ho, ho. This is your old friend Santa. You've been a very good boy this year. I was just wondering what you wanted me to bring you for Christmas. I'll text you, buddy. Let's take another call. Hi there. This is Constance Summer. Big fan of the podcast, but I do have a question. Why do you think babies and little kids like you so much? Wait, did she say constant summer or Constance Summer? I guess either way, if you say it fast, it sounds the same. That is a cool name. I am using it for a character in one of my books. Anyway, good question, Constance or Constant. I will tell you why babies and little kids like me so much. Because I am goofy. Here are some of the things I do. First of all, babies, like dogs and horses, have an ability to tell good people from bad, so it doesn't hurt to be a good person. Then, just let your inner child talk. They know what to say. But I have things that I always do. With babies, it's easy. They love this sound. Also, they love it when I say, Oh my, scootapot pie. Also, I wobble my big goofy head and say, What are you doing? Over and over. Uh, Now the duck noise, regular and wobbly, which is like, uh, and works with babies, but kids who are a little older are more sophisticated. I always walk up, bend over, stick out my hand for a shake, and then while they shake my hand, I say, Arthur Brown, darn glad to meet you. I will do this as many times as the kid wants me to do it, and you might be surprised how many times that is. Little kids I know always stick out their hands for a shake, or 500 when they see me again. Also, I do my world-famous snap-snap clap, which sounds like this. Then I put my arm out like an elephant trunk and make this sound. Also, I am a master at making up funny words, and I will get on the floor or ground or whatever and play. I can't see a baby or a little kid without lighting up inside, and I think they sense that. Babies always smile at me and want me to pick them up. It's just a gift. I make babies smile. Thanks for your question. Let's take another one. Hey, 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 Arthur, it's Jimmy. I have a question. Do you have any good stories about flowers? I like flowers. Well, as a matter of fact, I do have a favorite flower story, Jimmy. Many years ago, back in a strange time called by some The Day, I and a friend of mine, maybe the best friend I ever had and who is now no longer with us, had an idea. There was a Grateful Dead concert playing the next day at one of the colleges in the Bay Area. We had tickets. You may or may not know that roses are associated with the Grateful Dead. In the uh, mental state that we happened to be in, hey, don't judge me, it was back in the day. We suddenly realized that this could be a cosmic confluence of events. We were going to see a band that is associated with roses, and we lived just a few miles from a place that was full of rare roses found only in a few places in the entire world. You can probably see where this is going. Yeah, we grabbed some pruning clippers and a bunch of big trash bags. Gloves would have been a good idea, too. And we drove to the Berkeley Rose Gardens, hopped the fence, and clipped hundreds, maybe thousands of roses. Purple roses, parfait-colored roses, black roses, crazy roses. Okay, simmer down. We only took two or three from each bush, and roses only last a few days anyway, and rose bushes are not hurt when you do this. In fact, it is good for them. The next day, we stood outside the concert venue 
in an even more enhanced state of mind and gave one rose to every girl of any age who walked by. If you don't know anything about a Grateful Dead concert, you should Google it or YouTube it or whatever it is you do these days. People wear bright colors, you know, tie-dye. I'm sure you've seen it around. And the hippie girls in their long flowing skirts twirling around to the music, each holding a single long-stemmed rose of colors seldom seen. It really was a magical day. I hope you can forgive our youthful exuberance. But it isn't easy to tell stories about back in the day on a family-friendly podcast. Hey Arthur, this is Robert. Just had a couple questions for your episode. I just wanted to know, is it really true that I'm the only one who's listened to pretty much all of your episodes? And second, if you were at a store, what set of items do you think you could buy that would make the cashier most uncomfortable? Thank you for your time and keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Uh, Robert, yeah. Uh... You know, when we talked about this, you said you were going to ask me what I thought of the human form as the subject of art, but no, you wanted to mess with me. I assume you want to know what I would uh, get at a store if I purposely wanted to freak out the checkout person. So here goes. I could have gone for a huge tub of Vaseline and one giant cucumber with a funny smile on my face. Or maybe three huge bottles of anti-diarrheal medicine, 30 rolls of toilet paper, 12 boxes of moist towelettes, and three three packs of boxer shorts. But here is my real answer. I would bring a small pair of scissors in my pocket. I would messily rip open a package of tampons in the women's hygiene aisle. Then cut one of the strings off, and with it dangling out of my mouth, I would go up to the counter and pretend I was chewing on something while I set the obviously ripped open package of tampons down and darted my eyes all around looking nervous. Uh, yeah, I hope that answered your question. I think it's time for another commercial. If you're looking for a taste treat, salty and crunchy and fun At Neptune's Nuts, we harvest the seed pods from wild kelp off the California coast and then deep fat fry them. You can taste the sea salt they were soaking in in every crispy, crunchy bite of Neptune's Nuts at all fine grocery outlets. Try a mouthful of Neptune's Nuts. This is the Grim Reaper. Hey, big fan of the podcast. Love what you're doing. So, I know I have almost gotten my hands on you a few times, but I seem to recall something about a boat. Can you remind me of that story? That's a good story. Oh, sure, Grim, and thanks for the call. Yes, indeed, you have almost had me in your clutches more times than I care to recall. But the time you are thinking of is this one. When I was young, I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout. I never advanced in either one of them, but it was fun enough. Then I heard about the Sea Scouts. Building fires and learning camping skills was good, but I have always loved boats. So I joined up when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16. Our ship was a 63-foot ex-Coast Guard cutter called the Farallon, named after an island or cluster of small islands off the coast of San Francisco. We were on a 4th of July cruise from the San Francisco Bay to Santa Cruz down the coast. On our return voyage, we were running far enough from shore that you could just see the white breakers in the distance. It was a cloudy night around 11 p.m. with strong wind and an almost full moon. 
As we neared the Golden Gate Bridge, the sea was running pretty high. I don't know if you are familiar with this stretch of water, but it is famous for its shipwrecks. There are rocks and shoals. There is fog more often than not. There are currents and rough seas. The water is cold enough that hypothermia will kill you in less than an hour, and there are more great white sharks than anywhere else in the United States. The waves were large, and we were running sideways through the swells. Everyone on the boat was seasick except for the captain, the first mate, a huge kid named Dewey, and Ted, my friend Brian's brother, who never got sick because he ate so much that we think his stomach had no room to slosh around. That was the theory, anyway. I got tired of smelling the vomit below deck, so I went up on the bridge to get some fresh air. The boat was rolling side to side with some viciousness. The bridge was too crowded and hot, and I started feeling another round of blowing chunks coming on, so I quietly slipped out of the door onto the deck for some air. The air was really cold, even though I was wearing an old army surplus coat, and I stuck my hands into my jean pockets for just a moment to warm them up, even as I took my first step out the door. Just as my foot hit the slippery wet deck, the ship heeled over as we crested the back of a wave. My foot slipped and went straight out in front of me, followed by the other foot. I was now lying on my back in thin air about four feet off the deck. I fell hard, landing on my butt. The shock made me lose my lunch and dinner. Now, anyone who likes boats know that you never toss anything into the wind, especially your cookies, because it is going to come right back at you. And sure enough, it did. I watched the fog bank of my own vomit hang in the air for a moment like I was in a spaceship in zero gravity before it came back at me with a vengeance. This may sound disgusting, and it was, but don't worry, I would be washed clean soon enough. All of this took only a split second, and I really didn't have time to worry about it because the deck of the ship was still slanting down into the trough between sets of waves. You know, like a freaking water slide. So before I had a chance to panic, I was sliding straight downhill towards the edge of the boat, and I still had my hands jammed in my pants pockets, in case you forgot. I watched the rail come at me at an incredible speed. Now, when I say rail, you might be thinking of a sturdy fence or railing of some sort, but this wasn't a cruise ship. It was an ex-military vessel. The rail consisted of metal posts or poles every six or eight feet with two thin braided wires strung between them. I shot right under the bottom wire in my reclining position with absolutely no trouble at all. Let me take a moment to explain another part of ships and boats. It's called the gunwale or gunwale comes from an old word that meant gun wall, which was a strengthened part of the edge of a ship that supported the heavy cannons. On modern ships, it is just a small raised piece of wood at the very edge of the deck. I guess it adds a little support and stiffness to the structure. I'm not sure about that. Anyway, there I was on the slippery slide to oblivion. I shot right under the bottom wire, and only two things saved me at that point. My shoulder blades caught on the gunwale, and my chin caught on the bottom wire of the rail. Man, that hurt a lot. For a brief moment, as the ship was just hitting the bottom of the next wave, I was completely underwater. The sounds of the winds and the waves and the seagulls were replaced by just the throbbing of the big engines behind me. It was nice to have the barf washed off, but that was the only good thing about my predicament. Now the boat began to heel over in the opposite direction as it started to climb the side of the next wave. By the time it reached the top, I was lying almost flat on my back looking up at the sky. I remember clouds blowing in front of the moon. Did you ever see that movie Moby Dick with Gregory Peck, the old black and white one? Remember the scene where the end where he was caught up in the ropes of the old harpoons stuck in the white whale's back, and as the whale rolled back and forth, it looked like Captain Ahab was waving for his men to follow him even though he was dead? That was me. 
And let me tell you, I was not a happy camper, or sailor as the case may be. I still had my hands jammed in my pockets, and in that position, I couldn't pull them out. I was also freezing cold and soaking wet. Nobody had seen me leave the bridge. Nobody knew where I was. The ship kept rolling side to side up and down the waves, so part of the time I was underwater and part of the time I was looking up at the sky. I could feel the wire under my chin slowly slipping higher and higher, or would that be lower and lower? I realized that if I ended up in the sea, my odds of making it to the shore were fairly slim, wearing all those heavy, wet clothes and already being weak and cold. I am a good swimmer, and my size 15 feet do work as flippers, but only to a certain point. I wondered if I would wash up on the beach with my hands still in my pockets, leaving the coroner to ponder what the hell had happened. I must have done that crazy roller coaster ride 12 or 15 times. The wire was almost off my chin. I was a goner. Then Dewey, the huge first mate, came out on deck for a smoke. He saw my predicament, took one step to the rail, reached down, grabbed me by my fortunately long hair with one hand, and picked me up. I was still not fully grown yet, thankfully. I stood there like a drowned rat, hands still in my pockets, shaking like a leaf. You okay? Dewey asked me calmly. I nodded. He slapped me on the shoulder and returned to his cigarette. Now that I think about it, this may account for the fact that I kept my hair long well into my 40s. You never know when somebody may need to grab you by something to save your life when you're doing something stupid. Uh, hey dude, this is, uh, John Smith. Yeah, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, if you like Brussels sprouts. And, uh, is it true that Pornhub Premium is free during coronavirus? Anyways, uh, thanks, dude. Later. Um, I don't think that first question is really of that much interest to you, but no, I don't like Brussels sprouts. They smell like feet. And I did hear on NPR that Pornhub Premium is free right now as a public service. Hey, Arthur, can you stop and get some milk on the way home from work? Well, that explains why there wasn't any milk this morning. I appreciate you explaining why you personally crossed the road, madam, but that isn't a question about art. Or even a question, really. This is your own friend, Scotty. You keep saying that you're a Scottish nerd. Would you care to enlighten us, you great reason trollop? Well, here is the story of how I became a Scottish lord, Scotty. I had just had a birthday. The actual date isn't important. Take that, identity thieves. And Jessica, my older daughter, bought me land in Scotland. And the title of Laird or Lord in Scotland literally means landowner because only nobility could own land. So buying land comes with a title. Now I can go to the DMV and have Lord Arthur Brown put on my license if I want to. Glencoe is the Scottish Highland province where my land and title reside. Granted, it is only one square foot of land, and it is tied to a wee bit of the highlands that is held in a conservancy, but still, how many other lords do you know? It is sort of a gimmick to preserve the highlands. As an adopted person, I always imagined that my parents were a royal prince from some small European country and a high-priced Vegas hooker. Now I have the title so I can stop waiting for that phone call. Let's see what else we got. Wait, are you asking if it is true that elephants never forget? If you don't know the answer, I think that is sort of an answer in and of itself. 
This is Aquaman. You say you like dogs. I like dogs. What's the most dogs you ever petted in one day? Hey, big fan. Big fan. Hey, Aquaman. Thanks for the call. Uh, I had this idea of setting a dog petting record for some time. Up until that particular day when we were camping in Quartzsite, Arizona, I had never bothered to actually keep count of how many dogs I had petted. I love dogs and they love me. Remember, never trust anyone if dogs, babies, and horses don't like them. It isn't unusual for me to pet 20 or 30 dogs in one day, if I am at a dog beach or a campground with lots of dogs. I always knew that sooner or later I would find the perfect place to set a good beginning record which I could then someday try to beat, but I don't know if I will ever beat this number. As I mentioned, we were camping in Quartzsite because they have this huge annual swap meet. We have never gone before, but my wife's aunt and uncle have been lots of times. It is a strange event full of weird people. It isn't the normal recreational vehicle gathering. The people tend to be much older and weirder. Almost everybody had a dog with them. Walking dogs, dogs tied up at booths, dogs in strollers, dogs in carts and wagons, even dogs being carried in backpacks and slings like little babies. And then it hit me. This was the place to begin my quest to set a record for the most dogs petted in one day. So yeah, I spent the whole time on one of the two days we went to the swap meet trying to pet as many dogs as possible. I got to 57 before we got back to where we were camping far out in the desert. Anyway, I figured I could bump my number up higher if I walked around to a bunch of other campers and asked to pet their dogs. People loved the idea. They were sending me to their friends, telling me about people who had two dogs. It was amazing. And that is how I petted 68 dogs in one day. A personal record, I'm pretty sure. Nobody got time for that. <laughs> Finally, a question about art. No, to be honest, I am not a fan of all modern art. While some of it is clever and even groundbreaking, a lot of it seems like a way for artists to cover up the fact that they can't actually paint or sculpt or whatever. But I don't want to overgeneralize. Okay, who's next? This is Flapnar Galaxicron. You are a very interesting human specimen. Would it be alright if we probe you just a little bit? Just for a while? Uh, probe me? I'm going to take a hard pass on that, but thanks anyway. Uh, that's very flattering, I guess. Okay, what else we got here? Love the podcast. 
Oh, come on. This is getting silly. Does anyone have any questions about art? This is a podcast about art. This is the sandwich you ate for lunch. Why did you eat me? And what are your plans for me now? Hey, love the podcast. Uh, I ate you because you're a sandwich. Uh, Trust me, you don't want to know what I have planned for you next. And I'm glad you like the podcast. How did you get a phone? How did you leave a message? Oh, yeah, hi. I was just wondering if helium was bad for your lungs. And maybe it'll kill the virus. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it could help. What do you think? Uh, do you work for the federal government by any chance? I would like to offer a special thanks to all my special guest stars. My daughter Jessica as Helen A. Handbasket. My daughter Molly as Constant Summer. My mom and my wife as themselves. My son-in-law Jason as John Smith. Our friends Big Johnny as Justin Case and Joey as Wyatt Small. And my friend and fellow security guard, Robert, also as himself. Robert, get a new phone. Everything else was totally my fault. Thanks, people. Hey, Arthur, it's Jimmy. I have another question. What's happening, my bushy-tailed little cranial parasite? See, when you say stuff like that, it hurts my feelings. We aren't parasites. I thought this was a symbiotic relationship. I mean, do you like me, Arthur? Jimmy, I'm sorry. I try hard to be funny for the podcast, but I really do like you. You're my best imaginary friend. Don't worry about it, man. You are my best imaginary friend, too. Wait, what? Yeah, well, we were all sitting around in the park smoking crack and watching how crazy people are. We thought it would be fun to imagine one that was the perfect place for us to live. So we imagined you. That's a lot to take in, Jimmy. I bet. Okay, bye, Arthur. Bye, people. Yeah, bye, people. I leave you with our commercial songs. Here is the sterilized sunshine jingle and the Neptune's Nuts music.
If you're looking for a tasty treat, salty and 